Welcome to the More Than Corporate podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This week, I have an interview with Danny Cordy. Danny is currently a solopreneur running a podcast production company called Fable Productions, whose aim is to help entrepreneurs and small businesses strengthen their brands by sharing stories through podcasts. Fable Productions produces the Screwed Up Moments podcast and hashtag Try Everything podcast and has several more projects lined up for the rest of 2020. His journey to where he is today is far from typical. He had no formal audio engineering experience. He wasn't trained in media communications or broadcasting in any way. And he was actually an auditor at KPMG in Singapore, which in his mind seems like just about the farthest thing from being a podcaster he can think of. However, after several years of working at KPMG, he knew that that was not something that he wanted to do with his life. And when several events aligned that presented an opportunity to leave and take that leap, he did just that. On October 1st, 2019, just one day before launching the Screwed Up Moments podcast. The journey so far has been far from easy for Danny. And there's so much to learn and so much to do that it can often be suffocating at times. What keeps him going are the genuine experiences and people that he has met since he left his job at KPMG. It are these experiences that let him know that his work has a place in society and that he has a reason and purpose to keep going. Danny and I really dig into some really cool topics, including the differences between education in another country and in the United States. We dig into expectations when you have kind of a state-sponsored school and your understanding is that you are to pursue a career path and the difficulties that come along with changing all of that when you have family expectations that tell you to go in another way. We also dig into you know, leaving a job to do something that you don't know anything about and that learning curve and just trusting the process. So we dig into a ton of really cool things. I'm really excited for you to hear from Danny. Before we jump into that, I would really love to be able to connect with as many of you as possible. And there's a couple of ways for us to do that. You can click on the Calendly link below to set up a one-on-one call with me, and we can get to know each other a little bit there. Or you can head over to Facebook, search the More Than Corporate community on that Facebook bar, and select Request to Join. I'll go ahead and approve that request, and then we can connect in there as well. That community is full of people that come from all different walks of life that are just supporting each other in good times and bad. Right now, we're in such an important time in our world where we may not be able to be around the people that we want to be around in person, and the social connections that we can make online are even more important than they were before. So that community, in my opinion, is pretty fantastic. I think it's a pretty great group of people. And I would love to have you be a part of it. So go ahead and head over to Facebook, search more than corporate community, click that request to join button, and we'll introduce you to all the amazing people that are there. For now, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Danny. Danny, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Amber, for having having me on. Absolutely. I'm super excited to get into some of the things that you have going on and 
and your podcasts and things to that effect. But before we do that, let's go ahead and get to know you a little bit more. Where are sure. you from? What was it like for you growing up? And um, I always like to find out kind of what you thought your life was going to look like when you were a kid, kind of that what <laughs> did you want to be when you were when you grew up question. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I was born and raised in uh, Singapore. So there's a tiny island nation in Southeast Asia, uh, but I currently reside in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, where I'm living here with my wife. So growing up in Singapore, we it's a little bit strange because um, we are a very we, we have a very so-called strict society in the sense that they have a very high standards for academic success uh, instilled into the children and to most of the kids growing up. And especially, and, and this is also reflected by the parents, your friends, society. So you go to school and then, and then you know, you go through like the different parts of like elementary school, middle school and, and whatever, all throughout the education system, right? Everyone, is, everyone has this goal of like, okay, uh, I have to do very well. I have to do very well in my, my exams so that I can get into the good school, so that I can get to good university, so that I can get the, the, you know, the good careers as like your, your typical lawyer, doctor, engineer, uh, banker, etc., etc., etc. So every, most kids in Singapore grew up uh, like this. And in a way, it's almost institutionalized. Because I, I can tell you that when I was growing up, this was, uh, I think, the, 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 what I had in mind as well in terms of like what my future was going to be. So basically, the, the roadmap was just laid out in the sense that, oh, okay, if you do these things, then you will get that career, right? But of course, as you grow up, you find that, oh, it's not, it's not as simple as that, you know. Things don't just fall into place by itself. You have to, you have to work for them. Isn't but the that way, the truth? Yeah, but but the way, but the funny thing was the way that um, you know, this sort of mentality or this idea was was permeated. I legitimately thought, right, that you know, all throughout life, all you have to do was just study hard and score well on your test, and everything would just come for you. Like that—that that was that was my mindset <laughs> growing up. You know, my teachers in in uh, when I was like uh, in in Singapore's version of high school, we call it junior college, right? They never said anything about like, oh, go and, you know, find some interests, go, go build some other skill sets. All of them were just focused on you scoring well in your exams so that you could get, you could get into university. And then after that, you could go pursue like whatever, um, you know, doctor, lawyer, banker or, or whatever. Yeah. You know what's so interesting about that is I practice immigration law and I hear that from so many people who come from immigrant families, mm. that that's kind of the expected. Um, and, and for many people, it's that they moved here, their family worked so hard to get them here and they feel like they have to make something of it. But it's interesting to hear you talk about the culture in Singapore because it sounds very similar and um, it's something that... I think leads to many of the things we're going to talk about in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you were in Singapore, you were going to school. Um, did you end up, so you said that school is junior college for high school. That's interesting because that just kind of leads to the belief that college is the next step and it's almost that guaranteed next step. Was that kind of the mentality? Yeah, so the way that the um, the Singapore education system works is that we, in, in place of like elementary school, middle school, and high school, we have the system of like primary school, where it's uh, grade one to grade six, and then you have secondary school, 
where it's, I think, another four years. And then after that, you have this thing called tertiary education. So depending on how well you do in your secondary education, you could either go to junior college, which is two years, and that gets you to sort of a, a fast track to university, right? And at least that's what the belief is. And then the second option is uh, this thing called polytechnic, which is more like your trade school kind of thing. You know, you get like a diploma and then you can either go out and, and start working using the skills that you have or you could just or you could go continue your studies in university. And then the final uh, option is this place called the Institute of Technic. Uh, I think it's technical education. That one is for the most, uh, the least, sorry, the least academically inclined students in Singapore. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and and. I, I, I got to say, right, the, the mindset of, of uh, this culture of academic success is so seeped in, right, that literally there was a movie uh, shot in Singapore where they talked about this education system. And, and, you know, some elitism or this idea of elitism breeds in. So kids that go to junior college, those are the, the top scoring kids, right? And, they, and then they go there. They think that the people who go to the, the ITE, the Institute of Technical Education, uh, technical education, they are sort of beneath them in a sense because they didn't study as well. They're not as, as good academically. And then there was one movie that even, you know, uh, uh, had the acronym for ITE and, and, and said that they were, you know, basically it's called It's the End, you know, because like uh, from there, it's, it's kind of difficult to get into university and get into the, but That's yeah. That's crazy. The, yeah, but, but that, was, that was what uh, the culture was like in Singapore. And and the funny thing for me was, although although for the most part I believed in this in, in this sort of culture, and then um, I sort of bought into the idea that if I studied hard, you know you know good career would come naturally, right? I always felt a little bit a little bit different from the other children uh, or the other kids or other students or or my peers or or whatever. So, you know, sometimes my, my, I, I didn't focus as much, as much into my studies. I had, you know, these are the different interests. And in, in my teenage years, I picked up, you know, uh, stuff like, oh, I was, I was playing guitar. I was, uh, I picked up tennis as well and a bunch of different interests. But I never took them seriously because of this, of this uh, a mindset, you know. So, so it, it got to a point whereby, you know, um, when I was, when I got to the stage where I was thinking about what, what I was going to do with the rest of my life as a career, you know, when I considered, uh, I, I never considered anything other than like a corporate job or maybe something to do with like a business or something like that. I always viewed stuff, uh, I always viewed like artists or musicians as like um, <laughs> a little bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> some yeah. of them are, some of them are, but um, <laughs> no, I can definitely understand that. Um, the idea yeah. that you can't, make money doing something that you love, I think is something that's ingrained in so many people. And yeah. then it's at some point down the line, you find out that you can and that you can, you can live your passion and actually do things. I have a quick logistical question for you just sure. as a side note. So everything that you're talking about with school sounds very kind of state run rather than kind of the way that the U.S. is set up with independent colleges. Yeah. Is that pretty yeah. accurate? So what's the job placement like? Do they help place you in jobs or is it kind of a free-for-all once you're done with college? Yeah, so, so that's, the, that's the funny thing, right? So in Singapore, most of the uh, education is publicly funded. 
And most people uh, who grew up in Singapore, they go to public schools. And the reason for that is that education fees are heavily, heavily subsidized. So say if you go to like, uh, say in primary school, right, our version of elementary school, school fees for a year for like a local can be as little as like, I think, 100 bucks a year. Wow. Whereas if you go to like a private, uh, private school, there are private schools in Singapore, but it's not as common for the locals to go there. You know, school fees can range, you know, in like the tens of thousands a year. So most kids, uh, so most of the, the middle class or the lower class and, and even some of the, 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 the richer folk, they send their kids to public schooling as well because it's, it's a lot more affordable. So, but the funny thing is that <laughs> in terms of job placement, I don't think they have... Uh, maybe some of the, the, the universities now are starting to do like this, um, starting to incorporate like uh, apprenticeship programs or like sh job shadow programs in their schools. But at least during my time, I didn't hear anything, uh, anything like the sort, you know, it was always the belief that, okay, once you get to university, somehow the job will figure itself out. <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like we all operate under that so much. Like, just do what you're supposed to do in life is going to figure it out. And exactly. it doesn't always work that way. And I know it didn't work that way with your story either. Um, so you ended up in college and then you ended up working in the finance industry. Is that right? Yeah, so uh, not not really finance, more of the accounting side. Okay. So so I, I went to college, and uh, after I graduated, um, I went to work at KPMG, which is one of the big four accounting services firms, as a, as an auditor. So basically, what we do is we check numbers, right? Stare at Excel screens, requests for like invoices and bank statements, just to make sure that they're not doing anything funky, you know. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly um, a dream career for a lot of people, but I think uh, for most for most accounting students in Singapore, that would be a sort of acceptable uh, stepping stone in a way, right? Okay. Because because typically, um, if you're like say the top top five percent of your batch, you get to have those prestigious you know I don't know jobs in like investment banking or whatever. You get paid ridiculous sum right out of college but then you know those jobs are only like a handful so the rest of them um if you're not going to like uh, a, a big four accounting firm you're going to like some other private firm where it's you you get paid much less and then you don't have as, as much exposure so at that point when i got the job i was honestly okay i was i was quite excited actually because um i was trying to find all these different jobs but I wasn't getting much responses. I was going for interviews. I wasn't getting much luck. And then to, and then to have, and then I, I, I landed an internship at KPMG and then they, uh, they offered me a, a role after I graduated. And then I was just, okay, I, I got a job. I'm happy with that, you know? <laughs> so, so I went into it with a sort of mindset that, okay, I've done all that I needed to do. I'm finally here, right? <laughs> and then I thought like for the rest of, of, of my career, that was, that was it. That was, that was it. I just work, work hard, get promoted. And then that was it. The thing that I didn't sort of um, expect was how much I would hate the job after like, <laughs> after like a year going in. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's not so much that um, it's not so much of the stereotype of like the long hours and, and, you know, the, the difficult bosses, those those elements were there as well right but it was more of like 
how how what's the word to put it how little impact i felt the work i was doing made to the world around me yeah yeah, yeah. i can understand that i think yeah. it's interesting that you describe it that way because i know for me personally and i think for so many of the people who are listening to this show we kind of thought growing up that there was going to be an end game right like we work so hard for such a sh- we work so hard for a relatively short period of time through school and to get the education we need. And at some point in time, we're just going to make it. And we all have a different idea of what that time is for us. But I think that most people have this thought process growing up that whatever point they identify as the make it point, that everything's just going to fall into place. And so when you say that um, you've done all that you need to do and you're finally here, I think so many people feel that way. And it leads to feelings just like you're describing of, okay, I'm here, but this feels awfully empty. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's so, this is, I think, a crucial realization that a lot of people need to have, I think, early in their careers. Because, you know, once you go down, uh, say, five or 10 years into a set career, right? And then maybe you didn't like it as much and you grow to sort of resent it more and more and more. It's going to be harder to sort of jump out and leap into a different uh, career path entirely if you have like uh, obligations such as, you know, a family, maybe you have, you have kids to take care of. So, yeah. And, and yeah. So what would, I mean, the million dollar question is what would you say to your former self knowing that, we're in that mindset that we may not listen to what somebody tells us because they don't know what they're talking about, right? Yeah. Um, what would you say to your former self and then inversely to the people who might be in that position now of advice you wish you would have gotten before you worked so hard for something that wasn't going to make you happy? Yeah, and I really like this question um, because I think um, what I would tell myself uh, when I was younger is to sort of think about your motivations, think about your why, you know, why are you doing this? What are you, uh, what is the belief behind it? What is this definition of success? Do you really align? Do, do your values align with these, with this idea or this vision of success? Because the thing is, um, as I've been saying earlier, right? I talk about like the school system, the education system, I talk about these institutionalized, institutionalized beliefs, that was the sort of idea of success that was drilled in to you know every young Singaporean child growing up back in the day. So we didn't have any idea of success outside of like, oh, it's a corporate job. You're like some exec. You're making I don't know a, a, a buttload of money a month, and and you know you have some prestigious, <laughs> prestigious uh, office job with like a swanky uh, swanky desk and everything, right? So so the thing is that idea of success. Uh, may not necessarily align with who you are as a person. There are, of course, some people who can do that job, can do that job very well, and who might be, who may even be happy doing that job, right? But there are other people, and I would, and I would say a lot of people um, who wouldn't be happy or fulfilled doing, uh, you know, doing this in the long term, say 20, 30, 40 years, because this isn't their idea or their version of, of success. This is something that is imposed. I would, I would even go so far as to say imposed upon them uh, to, to, to believe growing up. 
So I think so. I think the important thing to note is, you know, think about that idea of success. Why are you doing this? Why are you pursuing this? And then see if that is really uh, what you want to be doing. Yeah. I love that answer so much. And I think that it's, it's so real. I mean, I've said on this podcast before that until I had my crash and my, my panic attacks and my breakdown, nobody had ever asked me what success was. And if you don't answer that question of what you think success is, you're never going to have it because you're chasing something you haven't defined. And so I think that that advice is key and I love it. So yeah. you are in this audit industry, this accounting industry, and I love the story that you tell about um, kind of what snapped you out of that. Um, can you talk about a little bit your conference at the Screwed Up Moments and and what made you realize that this wasn't what you were supposed to be doing? I'll, I'll share more first about what led me to that. You know, you know, Earlier, I said that, you know, uh, you have to re-examine your idea of success. Yeah. So I'll share about the moment where I realized that this really isn't what I wanted to do. Perfect. Right? So um, most of the, the job accounting, uh, you know, as, a, as an auditor, I'd, I would say it's pretty bearable. Um, I could get by, you know, even the, long, even the long nights, even the difficult bosses or whatever, pretty bearable, Right. But there was one particular task that I absolutely just hated doing, right? So it's this thing called a compliance audit. So I was working, um, I was doing an audit for a bank, right? And you know, banks, they have a lot of strict rules and regulations and stuff that have, they have to comply with. So our role as an auditor was to go there and make sure that, that whatever they were doing to comply these regulations was, was uh, correct, right? Yeah. Which sounds, uh, which sounds fine on the surface. But the actual work involved, right? So um, they have this thing, the banks have this thing called like, I think it's a screening process to, before they take on new clients, they have to make sure that these clients are not involved with like um, any terrorist ties or stuff like that. So they have this, so they have to enter their names, right? Into like this global screening system to do a check. And then they have to make sure that, oh, okay, this is not like, uh, you know, this is not the, the, the person who is, uh, uh, th this person does not have any ties, this person is not shady or whatever. And then they have to like, like uh, write a note that this person is clear, right? Okay. So my, my role, right, was to take all those pieces of paper that they have done their checks on and then to make sure that they have actually done it correctly. Right. Okay. So, so for three straight weeks, I was, <laughs> I was uh, put in a room with like, uh, I think it was three tall stacks of files, right? Go through every single one. And this is like thousands and thousands of checks just to look for mistakes, right? So, so mistakes being that, did they key in the name correctly? Did they use various uh, versions of the names? So you can imagine, right? That I sounds I, awful. <laughs> I did. I, I went through like, I think a few days of this and it was okay. You know, you get into a routine, whatever. You, you spot some mistakes, you get some excitement, whatever. I think at the end of the second week, like I was going into work and I was thinking, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, th is, this, is this really what I wanted to do uh, outside uh, after I, I, I finished school? It, it was, yeah, it, it made me question life so much. <laughs> I bet. Because, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you that the initial work sounds awful. But then when your job is to check the initial work, yeah. that sounds even worse. 
Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and I mean, I understand it. I understand that some people may say that, oh, this is just a stepping stone, you know, in the future, you'll do uh, different things and, and stuff like that. But it's like, at, at that point, I was really considering, you know, do I want to be doing this for the next 20, 30, 40, 40 years, right? Do I want to make a career and, and be doing this? Because I, at that point, I was really like, like hating myself for, for doing this. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't know how much more uh, I could handle yeah. So yeah, then, I love yeah. that you asked yourself that too. The, do I want to be doing this in 20 or 30 years? Because when somebody says, this is just a stepping stone to something else. Well, is that stepping stone just more of the same stuff I'm doing? Exactly. Um, you know, you never know the answer to that question. And I don't think enough people ask themselves, you know, is this the life I actually want? They just get so caught up in the accomplishment and chasing it. Exactly. And, 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 I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why that is uh, important as well. It's because um, when I, a, a, lot, a lot of the uh, colleagues, right, uh, a lot of my peers working there, you know, we always talk about uh, uh, the problems that we have at our work, right? You know, stuff to do with the clients, maybe stuff to do with our bosses, stuff to do with our teammates and stuff like that. And then, but the thing is, I, I, I always try to bring up the question of like, hey, uh, do you have like a plan outside of this? Or hey, why, uh, you know, have you ever considered doing something else? And then most of the time they would say stuff like, oh, I don't know, um, you know, I, do I really have any, uh, any other choice? You know, Am I gonna, uh, I'm not just going to leave this job. You know, I have to continue this, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it got to a point where it, where it, it, it frightened me almost. Right. Because um, I remember I was having lunch one time with like a group of friends. Right. And then they were they were uh, complaining about uh, studying for like these uh, these tests that they have. I think it was like the equivalent of like the CPA or something. So it was something that they take to further their accounting careers. Right. They were complaining that, you know, uh, they work so hard and then they go home, they still have to study. Even, they have to, even on the weekends, they have to study. And then, and then I would ask them, so, so why, why are you doing this if you don't like uh, accounting that much? Then they're like, oh, you know, everyone does this, so, so why not? <laughs> and I legit, I didn't, know what, I didn't know what to say to that. I just, yeah, it's, it, it, it boggled my mind at that time. And it, it, it gave me more of a, a push factor to say, to, to leave and, and uh, make me uh, seriously consider doing something else. Yeah. I love it. And what I love about that story the most is the fact that we all have that moment that kind of pushes us out of, I'm going to say almost the fog that we're in where we're just following the crowd. And there's, there's always that moment that we're like, holy crap, what the hell am I doing? And so I love that you described that because we'll stay in that position until staying there is scarier than whatever else we see. And so we kind of get to that point where is this my life? Because it's not pretty if it is. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and, and, and the thing is, I can empathize with them to a certain point. Because um, following the crowd is safe, right? It's predictable. Yep. It, there is some certain level of uh, comfort to it as well. In that if you do X, X, maybe Y, then Y follows, right? Or at least that is the promise or the guarantee that was given to you. Yeah. And so, you know, my friends who did this, I, I, I don't, you know, I don't really judge them for, for doing this. It's that the part of not really thinking about it that, that I, I don't understand. 
and like and like you said, right? Uh, most people say this until staying becomes scarier than than leaving. I hit that that scariest that that scary stage when I was in that room by myself, going through all those uh, documents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and what's also important is like we're promised that by people around us. And the people that are around us are in no position to fulfill that promise, right? So it's normally parents or educators that are saying, just do what you're supposed to do, society in general. Do what you're supposed to do. The rest is going to figure it out, I promise. But they're not the ones that are making hiring decisions. They're not the ones that are... So it's an empty promise that they can't really carry out, which is an interesting concept because we would never trust that in another area of our life, right? We would Mm. never trust somebody to sell us something that they can't guarantee, yet we do it with our lives all the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's interesting. So um, you decide that this is not the life that you want to be living, and what steps do you start taking then to kind of move yourself out of out of that and towards something that's more fulfilling? Yeah, so um, before I talk about this, I have to talk about how I discovered podcasting uh, and and how and how I sort of fell head over heels into it so I first discovered podcasts in when I was in college right I was living with my girlfriend at the time and one day she uh, came back home into the apartment and then uh, we would we would always like do our homework uh, by the kitchen by the dining table right you know on our computers and stuff and she starts playing uh, I think it was like Freakonomics at the time and then I was like, wait, what's that? And then she's like, oh, it's a podcast. And I was like, what's a podcast? <laughs> and, and then she's like, oh, it's, uh, it's this free internet radio thing, I guess. And I was like, free? And, and, and I grabbed her phone, right? I looked at the, the, you know, the iTunes, uh, it's a, the Apple podcast player that was playing uh, on her iPhone. And then I looked through and it was like, it was like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes, right? And then I was like, you mean all of this is free? And then she's like, yeah. And, 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 then, and then I was like, what, what, what do you have to do? And then she's like, oh, just go to the app and start downloading, I guess. <laughs> so <laughs> it was insane. I had, you know, that was like, um, I, I describe it as like a, a, almost like a Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory moment for me. It was like, that moment was like, it was like I, I, I had the golden ticket and I'd just been given free reign of the chocolate factory, right? So suddenly here was this world of like audio, completely free, completely accessible, portable as well. And it wasn't just, you know, crappy audio as well. It was not just like uh, the, the, I think it was like the stereotype at the time, the earliest, the, er, the early stereotype of podcast was like, you know, two uh, two guys just uh, uh, talking into a, into a mic in their mom's basement or something, right? Right. It wasn't. It wasn't just. It wasn't that at all. It was like you had shows like Freakonomics, which was which was just brilliant, and then you had shows like I think Ninety Nine Percent Invisible, Hidden Brain. Then you have stuff like you know the true crime stuff like Serial. All of these were highly produced, wonderful shows. You know, with a heavy emphasis on storytelling, and uh, and music and sound effects. It was just. It was. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, and so I, 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 you know, developed this passion and this love for podcasting. But the thing was, after I finished uh, college, uh, and I looked and I tried looking for stuff for podcasts in Singapore, right? I realized that there wasn't, there was barely anything around. 
maybe one or two. Okay. And I was quite disappointed at the time because honestly, there are so many there are so many things that you could do, so many stories or so many things that you could share over podcasting that I felt that wasn't being being done at the time. So since I had like a few months to kill uh, before I started work, I thought, okay, why not? Let me just try my hand at podcasting. So uh, back then, with with barely any knowledge at all, <laughs> I bought like a, a Blue Yeti mic. I scrolled through some YouTube videos and I started my first podcast, which was called the the Economical Rice Podcast, and which is basically a platform for me to be a nerd about about economics and just go into like different topics and stuff. So I did that for like I did that for uh, I think a year, two years, and so how that so 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 how that plays into what I'm doing now, right? Was that um, I think in my second year, I I I came across this uh, this uh, this social enterprise in Singapore called Happiness Initiative, and how I found them was that they were doing this event called like the Happiness Film Festival. So I managed to get tickets for me and my wife to see one of the screenings, and so it's at this uh, weird kind of hipsterish uh, movie theater <laughs> thing. And it was just it was just packed, right? I didn't know what 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 to expect going in, and so I go into the theater, and then uh, these two gentlemen come out and come out on stage, Simon and Sherman. They were the uh, the co-founders of Happiness Initiative, and okay. then they go and tell their story of how you know uh, they are just two people. This is like their second year doing this, and somehow they've managed to completely sell out their film festival for like eight days straight, and it's like you know fifteen over fifteen hundred attendees. Just absolutely crazy, crazy stuff, right? Just two people pulled this entire film festival off. Which, which after the after the movie screening, that was the only thing I could think of, was that how crazy, uh, could, it, uh, how 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 much work they would have had to put in to pull this off, right? So then I thought I have to speak to these guys. I have to interview them. I want to know how they did it. I want to, um, uh, I, I want to find out more. I'm, I'm curious, right? So I sent him I sent him an email saying that you know hey I have this podcast uh, we talk about local economics would you like to come on and tell us more about your business and how you do this kind of thing and then yeah uh, I think about a week a week and a half later they they agreed and <laughs> the <laughs> the funny thing about this was that um so they were pretty busy at the time so they said that the only time they could do an interview was like I think it was like a Thursday morning at nine a.m. right. And of course, Thursday morning at nine, I have to be at, at work myself, right? But I thought, okay, uh, these guys are pretty special. Uh, I think if I don't do this interview now, the next time will probably be like, you know, a couple of three months, three or four months down the road. So I just said, you know, screw it, I'll do it, right? <laughs> so, so the night before, I, I work until like midnight to make sure I get, you know, the work I needed to do done. Then I, I send a message to my senior, tell them I'll be a little late. Uh, I have some personal matters to attend to the next morning. <laughs> And then I go, I, I go do the interview uh, the next morning before um, before heading to work. It was yeah, it was it was crazy, um, but but it was but but this were these were sort of like the little things I was already doing uh, uh, to sort of segue or to sort of build that that bridge uh, before I before I take the leap in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so. Um, how how I eventually took the leap, right, was that 
so Happiness Initiative, they would have this event. They would hold these um, events, I think every few months or so, called Screwed Up Moments, right? And it was basically like a live speaker event. So each event, you have three speakers come on and they do like a, a short, I think like a 10-minute presentation about some screwed up moment in their life. And, and these were like, these could be anything from like, oh, depression or I think it was like, like, like a car accident or like, you know, uh, going through and being a, can a cancer survivor, stuff like that. Basically, they tell their story of how they went through like a really difficult period and how they came back from it, right? So I was sitting there in one of those sessions um, and I was just listening to the story. And some of the story, it was just so unbelievably vulnerable and engaging. And it was like the kind of thing that people don't, don't usually talk about in public. I mean, stuff like, you know, uh, I remember there was one speaker, right, who, who was telling his story about how he survived uh, cancer. Then he was showing us his pictures, right, of what, it, what he looked like wow. in the cancer bed. It was, it was insane. So, so I, I sat through one of those sessions and then, and then at the end, right, I was just like, I was just like floored. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. I was, it was like a punch in the gut kind of, kind of feeling, you know, because like you feel so much for, for these people who have gone through these, these crazy stories or these crazy uh, moments, but at the same time, they've, they've come out uh, uh, better and, and now they're able to share their story as well. But then as I, as I went home uh, that night, I remember thinking, right, you know what would be really great? Well, you know what would be really uh, amazing? And you know how Screwed Up Moments would be better? Is if it were on a podcast. Wow. <laughs> because um, at the time, they were only doing these live events. They weren't recording it or anything. So the only thing, so if you didn't attend the event, the only way that you could know more about their story is through like a little one paragraph blurb on, uh, on the website. That's Which it. I'm sure didn't do their story justice. Exactly. So then I thought, hey, um, you know, you know maybe, maybe there's an opportunity here, right? So maybe, maybe I could, uh, maybe from my own experience of, of two years or so of trying to figure out this crazy world of podcasting and playing around with different uh, editing things and, and, and whatnot, right? Maybe I could help them, you know, make a podcast out of it. And so, <laughs> and so uh, I went to another screwed up moment. And then uh, after the event, I, I, uh, I set up a meeting with uh, one of the co-founders. And basically I pitched to him the idea of like, what if uh, we, we converted this or what if we, had, we adapted this to a podcast form, right? And, and I remember <laughs> I worked on this pitch like uh, at my office job. <laughs> <laughs> we won't tell anybody, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't think it, I don't think they'll be listening anyway, but uh, I spent like, I think, a, I think like a few lunch breaks and, and, uh, and I think I, I stayed back after work just to work on this pitch. And it was a pretty simple pitch, basically telling them like what podcasts were and then uh, what advantage podcasts could have and then how, you know, podcasts could be uh, this thing that is permanent live, permanently now on the internet and it's much more accessible than what it was before, right? So I pitched to them, they loved it. And then we started working on uh, a production schedule. You know, we, we, we invited 
people who had spoken before to come and share their stories again. So we got like nine speakers for the first season. And then <laughs> I went through, I, I think I took like, I cleared my entire year's worth of like a leave, uh, which was like, I think three weeks. And then I did all the interviews during that period, just like bam, 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 all the interviews done. And then we set a date to, to launch the show, uh, to have like a hybrid uh, a, a live event, right? Where we would have a speaker, where we have the three speakers as well. And then I would be one of the speakers and I would talk more about the podcast and what it would be and stuff like that. Okay. And so, and so that, that was um, the bridge in, in my view, right? Uh, because, because now, um, instead of doing my own show, I, I sort of found a way to provide value to other people through... Uh, by doing what I love, which was podcasting, right? So instead of just working on my show and, and sticking to this uh, uh, narrow idea of monetization in podcasting, where it's like, oh, you build a show, you know, your show is large enough, you pitch to an advertiser, that's how you get paid. Now I was looking at it more of a, through the lens of, oh, how can I produce shows for people and then get paid that way as well? And so, and so once I had that sort of idea figure out, then I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to make the leap now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so I I think it was on the, maybe it was like the, the first of September I think um where I tendered tendered my resignation and and uh it is so I I, I tell you it is so weird um I'm giving your resignation letter because I never done that like uh formally before and yeah, it was that, that last month was just a crazy, uh, emotionally weird month for me. But, but anyway, so I left my job, um, I think it was on the 1st of October. And then on the 2nd, we did the live event and we launched Screwed Up Moments. Wow. Yeah. And then, That's amazing. Uh, and there's so much in there that's just important and inspiring and I think valuable to anybody who's listening to this. Number one, the fact that you were able to pursue all of this and find a way to make it work while you were still employed. So before you had made that full jump, you had taken your life into your own hands to say, okay, I know that I can't make a change right now, but I also know that this isn't what I want to be doing with the rest of my life. So what steps do I take to make sure that I'm taking care of something that I'm passionate about. And then that led to the ability to leave full time. And I think that's so important because so many times people can't see a way out of their situation. And the way out is normally just little tiny steps in that direction. And then eventually it adds up. Exactly, exactly. And, and I really like that message. And, and it's something that I, I try to tell my friend as well, is that, you know, if you want to be, if you want to do something different, you can't just sit and wait for that something else to happen, right? For example, if you're like, um, if, if you were an accountant, and you want to be doing like journalism or something, you can't just expect some, some news station to say, hey, <laughs> hey, Mr. Accountant, we want you to anchor our, our news program, right? That's, that's not going to happen. You got to put in the legwork, you got to, you know, make the connections. And then after that, you got to, got to, got to build that bridge, as I put it. Yeah. yeah. And you know, what's more interesting too, is that even if that were to happen, let's say that, you know, you were that one in a million person that somebody saw and said, oh, you, you'd make a good anchor, like come anchor our program. Mm -hmm. um, our first gut reaction as human beings is, 
but I don't know how to do that. And so yeah. I think it's so cool that you said, I don't know anything about podcasting and I'm just going to figure it out. And I'm sure that when you first started, just like when I first started and when anybody else first started, your product was not as great as it may be now. Like you had a learning curve and you just yeah. went with it. And I think that that's super important too, is like, be patient with yourself and, and let yourself learn um, how to do something that you might not know how to do instead of just turning down an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And, and if I could just add to that, right, I think one crucial aspect that, that, that I'd like to bring up as well is, you know, how, because, uh, because, because growing up, I had this idea of like the fixed path to success, right? Um, the, the role of so so throughout this journey, I, I, I and, and when I made the leap, when I made the leap, right, that was the first time I honestly thought that I could do something else for a career. And one of the main reasons why I was able to think that way was because of of Happiness Initiative and and Screwed Up Moments and the co-founders Simon and Sherman, right? Because they here they were, right, two guys running a social enterprise, you know, and they are able to find some some significant level of success. Right. Then maybe think, you know, you know what, you could do something dif different and still make something of yourself. Right. It's not cut and, and, and dry that, you know, if you pursue a life and, and, and your passion, it's going to be a failure or whatever. Right. It's just that you have to sort of um, actualize it, uh, if you get what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is so, um, an important thing for people to hear as well, because if you wouldn't have been willing to put yourself in a situation that you normally wouldn't go to, then you would never have met these individuals and learned about this whole other world that exists. And so, so many times we stay in our bubble and then we miss all these opportunities because we don't know what else is out there that somebody may be able to show us just by us getting out of our comfort zone a little bit and doing something different. Exactly. Exactly. I can tell you it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it is, it, it was, it's a crazy leap as well because, um, I think, I think at the time podcasting is still, uh, a still sort of a new industry in Singapore. Uh, certainly the idea of people making a living out of podcasting is still very foreign. So when I told my parents or when I told some of my friends, some of them were just, yeah, an absolute disbelief at, at what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, I but, bet. But, I it's, bet. Uh, but it's part of that, um, part of the process, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that one of the traps that people fall into, because even here, and I'm sure that you hear this all the time, because the part we haven't gotten to yet that we will is this turned into a podcasting um like a corporation for you. This is what you mm. do now is you help people with their podcasts. Yeah. And so I'm sure that you hear this all the time of people who think they're just going to start a podcast and people are going to give them money for it. And we forget that it's a business. And I feel like this is the problem that so many small businesses have, especially when they're maybe um, in network marketing or in something that's an at-home business like podcasting, that we mm -hmm. forget that it's an actual business, that if you want it to pay you, you have to treat it like a business. And I think that's why so many fail. Mm, yeah. And, and not to mention the amount of time and amount of effort you have to dedicate to it. Yes. <laughs> Before you make like a, a viable product that people would even consider paying you for. 
Yeah. Which is why if you're not starting out with something that you're passionate about, you are in trouble from the beginning because it is a lot of, um, I'm going to say the word free, although I think there's other payoffs for it, but there's a lot of free hours that are put into building a brand and building a podcast. And if it's not something you're passionate about, you're going to have no reason to keep going. Exactly. Exactly. And and I love that so much because um, uh, I've been to a few workshops and events about like getting into podcasting, right? And one question I always hear, right, is this, it will be from some middle-aged guy, you know, who says, you know, how can I make money out of, out of podcasting? You know, can we make money out of podcasting? And, and, and to me, right, if you're going into podcasting with that being your primary goal to make money, I would say just, just skip it altogether. Find something else to do. Be, be an be a Uber driver or something. <laughs> that, that'll, be, that'll be a more um, a, a feasible path for you, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that applies to most passion projects and it sh- needs to be really like listened to that um, if you're starting anything with the purpose of making money, then you're going to be sorely disappointed. And I, I feel like the other trap that people fall into sometimes is that they think if they can't make millions of dollars doing it, that it's not worth doing. But I mean, you, there are so many people who supplement their income. There are so many people that allows them to, to do something that they love doing and they only make, you know, a few thousand dollars a month doing it. And then it grows into something else. But we get in this, if I can't have it all, I'm not going to try it all mentality. And that, um, I think steers a lot of people away too. Yeah. Yeah. I think at some point, um, uh, as individuals, you have to realize like what level of success is, I think, adequate for you, if that's the right, right word. Yeah, because um, not everyone is going to be out there uh, making millions of dollars every year, right? But that doesn't mean that if you are comfortable doing something you love, that you should feel like a failure or feel disappointed. Because I can tell you that not a lot of people out there get to do what they love and still live comfortably. (laughs) I love that message so much. So um, you started this podcast company. Um, Talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about what you do with your podcast company and things that may be coming up that you're excited for. I offer offer basically services uh, with with either sort of um, helping you to launch or conceptualize ideas or sort of more of like the, the post-production end with like editing and marketing, stuff like that. Basically, my value proposition is, uh, is twofold, right? One is that I want to help you avoid the mistakes that I myself made when I first launched the show. So, and, and then the second part is I want to take, uh, I want to give time back to you so that you can focus on the more crucial elements, such as finding the right guests, you know, structuring the right message, building the brand, that sort of thing. Yeah, so... So I, I do stuff like um, I help to sort of con- I help people conceptualize ideas. I help people to structure their shows. I teach them how to 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 record interviews, how to you know script out the like an intro and outro message. But then I also I also do stuff like I will take over like the, the the editing side and then the marketing side with like your posting of like social media materials and so on and so forth. Yeah, so so currently I have a few a few clients on hand, but then uh, for for 2020, I'm hoping to to add more uh, more clients to the list. 
So it's still it's still a work in progress. I only started this in like October of of last year. So yeah. <laughs> Um, that's amazing. And I, I think that it's such a great service to offer people. So I want to take just a few minutes and kind of um, move into the um, content segment of this. And we've touched so much on amazing, valuable things. But I ask every one of my guests this question, what mm. is your individual definition of success? And um, how has that changed for you throughout your life? And I know you've talked a little bit about how it's changed, but what would you define success as right now? Yeah, so uh, currently I would define it as being able to carve a meaningful and sustainable career doing something that you love. Yeah. I love it. And then I also ask this question and I'm really actually surprised at the answers that I get because yeah. to me it's so clear and then people give me different answers. So as far as fulfillment and success, I see it as a chicken and an egg situation. Which one comes <laughs> first? Do you have um, an idea in your mind of whether success comes first or whether fulfillment comes first followed by success? Um. I think at least in my experience, fulfillment comes, if you're doing something you love, fulfillment comes first uh, before success. And, 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 and the question uh, that, that you posed uh, in your notes was that, do you believe there's a difference right, between success and fulfillment? Yeah. On, at first glance, I, I, really, I really thought it was, it was the same thing, right? But then um, I think the, the, the difference is uh, the aspect of sustainability. Because you could do something that is fulfilling, but I don't think, um, but I don't think that you can continue doing it for the long term and still call that a success. Okay. Because because you have to, you know, build in a little bit of that. Uh, you have to be a little bit more realistic, right? So say like maybe you love making films, right? Or maybe you love making YouTube videos, but if you're making YouTube videos and it's not really gaining traction, then you have to consider whether that is. And, and, and then, you know, you have like bills to pay and stuff like that. You have to consider whether that is a, a success or not. So that to me is the different uh, aspect of it. And, and, that's, and, and that takes a little more time to build. The fulfillment comes just, uh, sometimes it just comes from the doing itself. Like I love podcasting. I love talking to people. I love that through podcasting, I'm able to connect with strangers that have only conversed by email, by one or two emails and we're able to have deep, meaningful conversations. I love that part of podcasting that gives me fulfillment, but the success I think takes a, a, a bit longer to build whereby it's like, how can you generate a cash flow and you keep, you make it more sustainable and you build a sort of more defined career out of it. Yeah. I'm interested to know just because of you jumping into this podcasting thing with like zero experience, which I think is amazing. Um, so many people you know, are afraid to do that. I know I was terrified. Um, but as you've grown, what do you think your biggest failure has been and how did you learn from it? I would say at the, at the beginning, um, my, my biggest failure was really not trying enough. Okay. So when I first, when I first uh, started podcasting, right, um, I never thought that one day I could produce something to the level of like, you know, Freakonomics or, or, or something like that, right? I always thought that you would have like, you know, a full crew, you would have like a research team, you have like audio engineers and stuff like that. So 
so I didn't put I didn't put much effort or thought into the the production side of it. I was just like went in. I was just did my research, you know, you know, wrote out a script, read it out, and that was that was the show basically, for like I think the, a good good portion of like the first year. So then, it wasn't only until the second year that I thought that 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 a, a few uh, of of my peers, a few of my friends in the local industry at the time they were doing some crazier stuff with like how they structured their shows with like the different segments that they have. And I thought, wait a minute, could I maybe try a little bit different? Could I maybe try a little bit harder? So that was when I started to experiment like, like crazy. I started to do different show styles. I, I did like one or two episodes of like a audio drama. I'm not kidding. I, I actually tried it. And then, <laughs> and then, um, and, and then I just, uh, you know, tried, you know, talking about different stuff, uh, interviewing different people and playing with like in, you, you know, music and like uh, sound effects and how we can build that into the show. And that was how slowly over time I, I built a, a better uh, repertoire of uh, of techniques and, and how to edit and how to structure a show and stuff. So I think without, without that, I wouldn't be in the position where I am today. But at the same time, I wish that at the outset, I would have at least been a little bit more daring or a little bit, a little bit more bold to try it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love that answer. And I feel like selling ourselves short and underestimating our capabilities is something that so many people do. So I love that answer um, because it kind of pushes us to, to try to set higher bars for ourselves and higher expectations. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I think there's been so much value here. Um, before we wrap up, I'd love to do a quick random round and let everybody get to know you. Are you okay with that? Sure. Perfect. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? <laughs> yeah, so I love this question because um, when I was, I think, 16 or 17, uh, my parents made me do an aptitude test, right? <laughs> And uh, the profession I got from it was actually journalist. Really? Right? Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then the funny thing was that uh, my mom saw the report and then she said, oh, there must be something wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> because she wanted me to go into like engineering or, or finance or something. Of course. <laughs> of course. So, I mean, I kind of see a correlation between journalism and podcasting. And so I think it's interesting that that's where you ended up now. Yeah, yeah. And so so that was the thing. And and I'd always been sort of uh, uh pretty good at, at at languages or and stuff. So I figured that would be a pretty fun job, I think. Stressful as hell, but fun nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Oh. If I could time travel, I would go back maybe 10 years. When uh, ten years, ten years into the past, and just tell my younger self, <laughs> you, <laughs> you could. <laughs> there is a different career waiting for you, or at least just to tell them, don't be surprised at how you end up ten years later. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Like just chill, just a little bit, and go do what you want to do, right? Yeah, yeah. Go and explore, you know, try different stuff. I love it. I love it. Um, what personality trait has been most helpful for you throughout your lifetime? Um, so throughout my lifetime, I'm not really sure, but just to stick to 
the the sort of the overarching themes of 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 the story, right? Um, I think one trait uh, that is good to have would be to be honest. Okay. Be honest and be authentic, especially with questioning your motivations, your whys, and why you and and be honest, especially with uh, with what what you're currently doing, whether you like it, and um, you know whether you want to continue doing it. It is difficult, I have to admit. Not not everyone um, can do this, and not everyone will like what they hear if they're <laughs> completely honest with yourself. Oh, most but, of us wouldn't. It's the hardest <laughs> thing to do, but the most beneficial. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's the thing. I think uh, if you're if you're feeling if you feel like you're, you're in a rut, right, and if you want to sort of chart a path out of it, I think that is one of the first steps you need to take. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, do you prefer reading books or listening to audiobooks? Yeah, so um, <laughs> I actually prefer reading books. Uh, I don't listen to audiobooks because I find that I drift off when it's okay. just one person talking for like an hour at a time. Yeah, so I prefer, I prefer reading, yeah. Awesome. What's the book that you've gifted the most? Uh, I, I don't or what really... book would you gift that you think would be good for somebody to read? Yeah. Um, oh, man. So, so, so some of my friends would, uh, would, would laugh at this because um, I, I, I don't gift them like physically, right? But I read this book and it changed sort of a, how I approach things and, and, and how I interact with people, which is basically, which is basically uh, I think it was Carnegie's um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yes. I love that book so much. I read it before I started my started my first job and, and, and I always go back to a lot of the principles uh, and, and there's so much like uh, human psychology in there as well, which is surprising for like a self-help book because you, because typically you, you expect self-help books to be very um, kind of superficial at times. Right. Yeah. But, but that one went into a lot of detail about human psychology, you know, how people uh, think highly of themselves and how you got to play to that at times. So that is the one book that, <laughs> So, so, so <laughs> when I was back in my, in my corporate job at KPMG, right, I literally did like an Excel sheet where I put out like, so I downloaded like a PDF of the book okay. so, and, and then the book has like all these like different principles and stuff. Yeah. So I would, I would summarize all the principles, the page numbers, I would attach the PDF and then I would, I would blast that to my friends <laughs> at work and colleagues and tell them, hey, you know, read this. This will help you network better or interact better with your clients. Yeah. I so love that, it. I love it. And, you know, most of the people would say, oh, my gosh, you're crazy. But if they try it, it helps so much. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 changed, it changed the way I... I I interacted with the world, literally, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, so I'm a music nerd, and I always have to ask people, like, what song motivates you the most right now? What's your pump-up song? Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to say I don't really listen to. Not a music really person. Listen, Fair I don't really listen to that much music right now. I used to be really, really into music when I was a teenager, but after podcasting, it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, back. no, you're fine. Um, and then last but not least, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it like? Yeah, so uh, this one I, I do have, although I don't follow it uh, strictly. I don't do it every day. 
But uh, basically what I do is um, I get up and I have breakfast and then afterwards I, I make a cup of coffee and then I go up to the rooftop of, uh, of my building and then I kind of soak in the morning. And I, I, I feel privileged enough to do this because I have a sort of uh, job that I can do from home. So I'm able to spend like that 10, 15 uh, minutes in the morning just to, to collect my thoughts, calm myself down and just you know, soak in that beautiful, the, the beautiful sun, you know, you know, you know the first uh, rays of, uh, of morning sun before I actually start my day. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Mm-hmm. All right. So if people want to connect with you and follow up on our conversation and get to know you a little bit better or find out how they may be able to work with you on their podcast, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, so if you would like to reach out to me, uh, you can go to my Facebook or Instagram uh, at facebook.com slash Fable Productions. That is spelled F-A-B-L and then Productions and Instagram is the same uh, handle as well. But if you want to reach me directly, you can just send an email to D-K-O-O-R-D-I at FableProductions.com or you can just check out the website, which is FableProductions.com. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I've really appreciated our conversation today and I appreciate the time that you took out of your day to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for um, chatting with us. Yeah. Thank you, Amber, for having me on. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.